0: Where would we be, O Lord, without your word that has revealed who you are, what you expect of us? Where would we be without a redeemer? The Lord Jesus Christ, who paid, who came into this world, became a real man to die a real death, to pay the penalty for our transgressions, to clothe us with his righteousness, so that we might inherit eternal life. We thank you that Jesus will search us out till he finds everyone from whom he has shed his blood for. Be with us as we, we read uh, tonight in this marvelous story of the Samaritan woman in that village which came to know the Lord Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at our text tonight, which is, by the way, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 26 through verse 45, <clears throat> just keep in mind as we go through that second stanza on this, the hymn that we just sang, Come Thou fout of Every Blessing. It says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. That's exactly what God did with the woman Samaritan woman at the well. And we're going to see what he did to that village from which he came. So let's read that section of God's word. uh, John chapter 4. And I'm going to pick up at verse 25, and we'll read down through 45. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at that point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or what do you speak with her? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. In the meanwhile, the disciples were requesting him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples therefore were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. That he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent... You to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified and told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And after the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Now let me just summarize very briefly what we saw last week. We saw how Jesus was deliberately leading this woman who had come from the village to draw water out of Jacob's well. And Jesus engages her in a conversation. The disciples had left They had gone into the city to get food, so it was only Jesus. And let me tell you, that was no coincidence. There's no coincidence that Jesus was there by himself, only talking to this woman. We're going to see that Jesus, through his conversation with this woman, is going to lead her to the glory of the gospel. And the whole incident of Jesus is, as I mentioned to you, the parable of the lost sheep where it says, Will not the shepherd, if one goes astray, will not the shepherd go out, leave the 99, and go hunt for the one lost sheep that has gone astray? That is exactly what Jesus was doing in this great, wonderful story. It's a story of Jesus leaving the 99 and going to find not only the one, but that one is gonna help him find others that have strayed, namely those residents of that city of Saqqar. This woman, she obviously understood, even though she was a Samaritan, uh, they understood, they, they had a reverence for the law of Moses. So and she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will reveal all things to us. Now that's exactly what Deuteronomy 18.15 that we looked at last week says that Moses said who was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, Moses. He says there's one coming after me, and him you had best listen to. So this understanding had gone down from generation after generation to the Jews, to the Samaritans. Remember the Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jews, half, breeds, half, Jews, half Gentiles so they understood and remember we we mentioned that the disciples of Jesus who were fishermen Peter, Andrew, Nathaniel uh, all these knew something they knew the Old Testament they knew the promises of the Messiah coming and so when Jesus when she says that that when Messiah comes he will declare to us all things. At that point, Jesus says, "He, I whom am speaking to you am he. And you can imagine that impact. And immediately, now the scripture here says, at the time that Jesus revealed who he was to the woman that I am, that Messiah, long awaited, at that very moment, the disciples come back from the village. And when they come back, they arrive and they see her, see Jesus talking with this woman. And look at what the text says at verse 27 and what the disciples remarked. It says, they marveled that he was speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? Now, remember last week we said there was this great animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. It went all the way back to the rebuilding uh, of the temple when, after the captivity. This great hostility between the two. And one thing it says here, they marveled not only the fact, it doesn't say that she was a Samaritan woman. It says the fact he was talking to a woman. Now, that amazed them. Now, here's what the rabbinical teaching taught. Now, this is not biblical teaching. This is what the rabbis taught in the Old Testament. Here's what they said. Let no one talk with a woman in the street, no, not with his own wife. That's what the rabbis taught. You see, let me just say this again. Even among the Jews and the rabbis, they did not have a proper understanding of women. They did not respect women being made in the image of God. Even to this day, most other, virtually all religions of the world, except for Christianity, women are looked down upon. They're looked at second class citizens, especially among Islam. It is, it is grievous. and And everything that we can be said, Christianity has done more to bring dignity, the proper dignity to women than any other uh, religion in the history of the world. And so the disciples, they're amazed that he's even talking to this woman. And we see here that in verse 28, it says that when the disciples arrived, she leaves and leaves her water pot there. Now, there's been speculation as what what did she do? Did uh, Remember, she, she carries this, this water pot. It was the custom to put it on your head and carry it. And we know that it was some distance from the text. We're not told exactly how far, but it was far enough that when Jesus said about living water, she was excited because she wouldn't have to. If it's living water that will cause you never to thirst again, then I don't have to go back and forth every day to get water. So why did she leave that? Well, two speculations. One, she was so excited that she forgot her water pot, although I'm not sure that's the case. But remember, she was amazed that, and she saw Jesus as a Jew. She was amazed that he would even engage in a conversation with her. And remember, Jews saw as some kind of an offense to drink or to eat after a Samaritan. I mean, that's, that was the level of animosity between the two. So the fact that he was talking with her, the fact he had to ask for a drink of water, the fact that he had to drink out of her water pot, some have speculated that she left it out of kindness because he, he, he was tired, we're told, and he wanted to drink of water. So there's all good indication she deliberately left that water pot and went into the village. Now, two things affected this this woman. First of all, the extent of Jesus's knowledge of her is what really drives home the whole conversation that Jesus had with her. Now remember, Jesus Christ being the God-man, he knows what people are thinking. He knows their words. He knows their actions. He knows everything about them. Remember, that's what impressed. That's what impressed Nathaniel when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, and you are an a Israelite indeed. And that prompted Nathanael says, you gotta be the son of God. Why would that statement imply you had to be the son of God? Because he knew no one saw him there. And secondly, how would you know what I was thinking? And he put two and two together. Only God is omniscient. And and that's why he says, you got to be the son of God. So Jesus knows all the thoughts of the heart's And actions of people, and and let's let's keep in mind, let me just read, turn to Hebrews 4.12 for a moment. Now this is the power of the word of God. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, as I've already said, Jesus had impressed Nathaniel with his omniscience and now Jesus impresses this lost sheep, the Samaritan woman, with his knowledge as well about her. Now secondly, the power of Jesus's words are going to affect this woman. The fact that, here's what really was driven home. The fact that Jesus knew of her sins. Remember they were talking about uh, worshiping and Jesus says there's gonna come a time when men will not worship on Mount Gerizim. They're not gonna worship in Jerusalem they will worship in spirit and in truth. And it's not gonna be a locale, it's going to be from the heart. And then out of, as he's talking about this living water that, he was, uh, that he's speaking to her, just almost out of nowhere Jesus says, well go tell your husband to come here. Well that sounds odd. Why? This, that was not part of the conversation. And she says, well, I, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, I know, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now, it's not even your husband. Well, how would he know that? How on earth would he know that? And Jesus just presses home to her, again, revealing the fact that He is now going to focus on her sins. Now, Jesus' conversation with her will leave her to talk about the Messiah. And Jesus tells her, as we saw, point blank, I am that Messiah. So she immediately goes, leaves. When the disciples arrive, she goes into the city and she, she finds the men of the city and says, I have found him who has revealed all things that I have done. See, that's what she's emphasizing. She's not talking about their discussion on where to worship or about the, the water. She says, she tells the men, she, she said, he knows who I really am. He he knows my condition. And we're told here that um, she says, can he really be the Messiah? Now remember what she said about Messiah in verse 25. What did she say that when Messiah comes that Messiah will do? Messiah will reveal and declare all things to us. That's what she said Messiah will do. Well, guess what? What did Jesus just do, but reveal to her some things about her past that no one would have known unless it is the Messiah? Now we know from the text as we develop here that that testimony of the woman had a real impact on the men of the city. Now take note, in, in, in this, what we have read, nowhere did they ever say, you foolish woman, what are you talking about? That uh, this man is the Messiah. They didn't say that. They could have easily, They said you're, they could have easily said, you're crazy, but they didn't. And I'll tell you why they didn't. Because God not only was working in the heart of the Samaritan woman, he was already working in the heart of the men of the city. And that's why they were receptive. You know, when God goes to save people, his spirit works in men's hearts. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Nicodemus if you're going to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the spirit and you've got to be born of water. No one, the scripture in 1 Corinthians says, no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here that when God's, He's obviously working in the Samaritan woman's heart. I think we have all indication that he's beginning to work in the men of the city because they're they're willing to come out and see what she said about this man. Simply based on her testimony. As I said, they could have easily dismissed it, but they didn't. You know... This curiosity that the men of the city exhibited, you don't see that among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, now do you? Their hearts are not prepared and despite the great signs that Jesus was performing, how did that come across to the uh, Pharisees and scribes? Well, how much what, what Jess mentioned this morning, they had great animosity towards him. They intended to kill him. Why? They saw all these marvelous things, and yet they wanted to kill him? And you see, the reason, I think you need to understand, we need to understand that when God goes to work in people's hearts, he makes them receptive to the words of God. And the reason why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees and the scribes was because being God, he could re look into their hearts and see the darkness. And that's why he said to them, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside you are dead men's bones and you are murderers. Wow. He knew their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. We we find encounters with Jesus with the Sadducees. It says Jesus would. It says he knew the question that they were about to ask, and then answered, uh, gave an answer before they even asked the question. Why could he do that? Because he's God. Now, verse thirty-one. Meanwhile, the disciples, they want to encourage Jesus to eat some food, and, um, which immediately leads Jesus to talk about something greater than physical food. He's referring to spiritual food. And Jesus said in verse 32, if you look at it, he says, I have food that you don't know about. Well, what kind of food is he talking about? Well, Jesus explains himself. He says in, in, in verse 33, they still the disciples still didn't get it. But in, in verse 34, Jesus sets forth the whole purpose of his coming into this world. Look at verse 34. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's my whole purpose, the will of my Father to do what he wants and to accomplish the task he sent, why he sent me into this world. So let's just briefly look at that task. First of all, turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Look at verses 21 through 23. Now, this is where the angel revealed to Joseph why he should not put Mary away because she was with child and he knew he was not the father. It says in verse, um, look back up to verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So here we see the name that the angel says, I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to name the child. He just couldn't come up with anything. He says, no, I'm going to tell you what you need to name the child. You're going to call him Jesus. And you call him Jesus because the name means He will save his people from their sins. That's why you're going to call him Jesus. Now, let's look at an incident. Turn to Luke 9, verses 51 through 56. We've looked at this before briefly. Luke chapter 9, 51 through 56. Now, remember, Jesus had just come from performing the miracle at Cana of Galilee, and he decided to leave Galilee and to go to Jerusalem. So he was on his way. And we're told that in verse 51, he sent somebody to go ahead of him. He said And it came about when the days were approaching <clears throat> for his ascension, that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him and they went and they entered a village of the Samaritans. Now, it's the Samaritans, just like the woman at the well is Samaritan. To make arrangements for him. And they did not receive him because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. Meaning that hostility is very evident. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village you see the hostility of the Samaritans toward the Jews. And Jesus, they knew to be a Jew. And Jesus has to rebuke the sons of thunder, James and John, for wanting to call down fire because they did not show hospitality to Jesus. How dare you insult Jesus like this? Let's just destroy them. And Jesus has to remind them what was his whole purpose of coming into this world? Not to judge men, not to condemn men, but to save them from their sins. That's why I have come. You know, there's going to be a time that is different from this. We're told in Second Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter one verses seven through nine, it says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from his glory of his power. Now that day of judgment and condemnation is when he comes back. That's his second coming, but at his first coming, He is coming not to condemn men, but to gather in all those for whom he died. Now here's another thing of his purpose in coming. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter two and look at verses 10 through 13. This is Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. And he says, Paul says, you are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. You know, our job in evangelism is simply to proclaim the truth of the gospel. That is our responsibility. We cannot control the reaction of those to whom we speak. Contrary to Jesus who knows the hearts of men, we don't know the hearts of men. We don't know what they're thinking. And we don't know what God's intentions. We don't know whether he's working in their hearts or not. Remember, we've already seen in John chapter one, where it says that that uh, the son of God came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. Remember, he came to Israel and they didn't receive him. But it goes on to say in verse 12 and 13, but, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God who were born not of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. You know, if you turn back to John 4 and Jesus' interaction with his disciples now, And if if you look at verse 35, what you're gonna see, Jesus says, after telling them what his purpose of coming in this world is all about. Now, before I move on to verse 35, note what he's doing. He is accomplishing his purpose, right? By even talking to this Samaritan woman. He is searching her out because... She is one of God's elect. She is the lost sheep, and he's come to find her, and he has found her. And so we see here that Jesus says in verse 35, Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, and they are white to harvest now why Jesus he says the actual physical harvest is not here yet but I want you to look up and the fields are white to harvest he's got a different kind of harvest in mind isn't he guess guess who's on their way to see Jesus but the men of the city who heard the testimony of the Samaritan woman Jesus is trying to get the point across to him. See those coming? This is why the field is white to harvest. Let's put it this way. Jesus is saying to his disciples, his work is their work. And harvest time is gospel time. The disciples were to gather in a harvest of souls for Christ. That is what he's trying to communicate to the disciples. You see, Jesus knows that the Samaritan men, like I said, are on their way. Normally there's a period of time elapsing between the sowing of a seed and the harvesting. It normally takes four months, Jesus says, for that process to take place. But Jesus says, guess what? The harvest is already here. It's right here. Just look and you'll see it. Jesus is the sower and the disciples are going to be the reapers. And both the sower and the reapers are going to rejoice. Notice that's what he says here. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in the one case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. What we're seeing here is Jesus is saying, you, you, my disciples, you're gonna be the reapers. Now, I've been sowing while you've been in the the city gathering food. I've already been sowing in the heart, essentially, in the heart of the Samaritan woman. He doesn't say that, but that's what obviously he's implying. And these men who are coming, you're you're gonna do some more uh, harvesting. You're gonna reap what I sow here too. Now, when these men arrive in in verse 39, we're told, I think the disciples don't miss the import of what Jesus was saying to them. Um, One thing, remember when the woman went into the city what she said was, here's a man who knew everything about me. Which seems to imply, okay, they knew something about that woman, right? They She probably had a reputation. I mean, if she had five husbands, they would have known. This is the woman that had five husbands. And they probably know the one that she's living with is not her husband. Probably the whole city probably knew this. And he's And, and when she tells him or these men, he knows everything. Not only did that impress the Samaritan woman, but that apparently has impressed the men to come out and just see for themselves. And what's interesting is, I think what we see here is that the men's hearts of the city have already been prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive the testimony of the woman. Notice, they were not of the mentality that we saw in Luke 9, who says, oh, you're a Jew? No, you're not welcome here. We're not gonna give you housing. They were not of that mentality. The fact they were coming to hear means God's work was already at work in their hearts. So from the... Woman's testimony, they were believing that this man was a prophet. So when they arrived, they asked Jesus, We'd like you to say, stay two days with us. Now, they've already said it's apparent they have believed the woman's testimony. Because look, look what it says in verse 39. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him. Why? Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I've done. Now they must have put two and two together and says, well, how would this stranger know what we know? There's, There's got to be more to this man than on the surface. So we see here, it says, they believed on him because of the word of the woman. But notice that it says, and they ask him to stay. And it says, so Jesus stays two days with them. What do you think was happening during these two days? Well, Obviously, Jesus. We're not told, but he he obviously had to be preaching to them because it says it says in verse forty one or forty two, and they were saying to the woman, "It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is." Indeed, the Savior of the world. They believed something in the woman's testimony. Now they said, we've heard for ourselves. We've heard it ourselves. This wonderful truth. Now, notice it says, the text does not say, they believed by what they saw. What does the text say? They believed what they heard. You know, I cannot help but um, draw our attention, turn over to Luke 16 in the parable that Jesus gave, or some believe it's a parable. Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus, and they both have died, The Lazarus who was of great poverty in life was in the bosom of Abraham enjoying the benefits in glory and yet the rich man who enjoyed all the earthly benefits is in hell. Now look at Luke 16 beginning at verse 27 And he said, now this is the rich man speaking. And he said, then I beg you, father, that you send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. Then Abraham said, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them Hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, and this is one of the most powerful places in all of the word of God. What does Jesus say? But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. That's incredible, isn't it? Oh, if they see this incredible miracle, like what happened with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, oh, they'll believe. Did the Pharisees? Change their mind after hearing about that? No. Hey, did did most of Israel trust in in Jehovah after going through the Red Sea? No, the scripture says that most of them perished uh, in their sins, never entering the rest in Canaan. You see, it's not a miracle by visual things that changes men's minds. Here's what changes men's minds. Right here, right here. They had Moses and the prophets. If they're not gonna listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not gonna be persuaded of a God where to rise from the dead. That's why Jesus said on numerous occasions, he says, Let him who has what? Ears to hear, let him hear. So are men hearing the truth? Has the Spirit of God done it, doing its work in their hearts? So with reference to what what, what we see here is the power of the preached word, the necessity of the preached word. Remember, Paul said in Romans one sixteen, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It is the power of God. Turn over to Romans 10. Now we're going to start at verse verse 8 But what does it say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness and with his mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him we could insert, there's no difference between the Jews and the half-breed Samaritans. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not heard, or have they not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they've not heard? How they shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has received our report? So then faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, he who rejects you has rejected me. If they don't listen to you, they have, reje- they have not listened to me. Because when a preacher comes, and here's the magnitude of the preaching of the gospel. That's why it says in verse 5, why is it that the feet of the preachers are called Beautiful. They're called beautiful because it's the feet of the preacher that takes them from point A to point B, from this city to that city, who will travel to bring them what? The preaching of the word of God. And notice Jesus says, when they preach, I preach through them. And the reason that some don't hear is because God is not working in their heart. At, the, at least at that point. And those who hear, hear by the word of Christ. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to be born of water and the word. You know, Titus 3 says, There it says in in Titus 3, 5 through 7, it says, when the kindness of God and his love for mankind appears, he shall save us, not on the basis of deeds done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out richly upon us. See, that's what Jesus meant, Nicodemus. To be born of water, you've got to be cleansed. Well, who's going to cleanse you? It's the Holy Spirit's going to cleanse you. And when men and women hear the preaching of the gospel, it will reveal the condition, at least at that point of their heart. I know we'll talk about this more when we get to John 8, but it's very relevant for us. I want you to turn to John 8 and look at verses 45 through 47. Now, let me, let me mention the context here. The context here in verse 31 talks about some who have believed on him. But you know, there's a different type of belief that the Bible reveals, a belief because you saw signs and a belief that's saving. And these that said, believed in him are going to be the same ones that Jesus will give a stinging rebuke. Because they said, well, we're, we're, we're children of Abraham. He said, no, you're not. What do you mean we're not? No, your father is not Abraham. Your father is the devil. Now imagine how that went across to those that says they believed in him in some capacity. No, he says the devil, your, your father is the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and you as the sons of the devil are seeking to kill me. So that's the context of what he's about to say here in verse 45 through 47. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Here's the clencher verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Brethren, no one can come to saving faith apart from the illumination of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, convicting them that they have sinned against a holy God, that there's no hope outside of Christ. Just like the woman at the well came to understand, he's got to be the Messiah. Why? Because he's revealed everything I've done. There's got to be conviction of sin. But no one will ever be convicted of sin if the Spirit's not working. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, being born of God's like the wind, you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going to go. But you see, you hear the sound of it. You see the effect of it. So Nicodemus This is what is true of everyone. The spirit has to cleanse. So when I, as an ordained preacher, but it's not restricted to me as an ordained preacher, it it involves each one of you. When any of you go out in whatever context it is and you bear testimony to the gospel, then at that point, everything changes in the life of the person with whom you've taught. Because if you are faithful to proclaim the truths of the gospel, then Jesus says, you need to recognize the day of your visitation. Some recognize the day of their visitation. Others did not recognize the day of their visitation. You know what helped change my mind to give me more courage in evangelism? And I used to be, as I've told you in the past, I won't tell you the story again, I used to be a real coward. (laughs) Sort of ashamed of the gospel. And what really changed things when I realized, look, it doesn't apply just to me, but it applies to you as well. If you talk to somebody about Jesus, it is a privilege that you are there. Because God didn't have to send you to these people. He didn't have to. And he's given them an opportunity to hear the gospel and repent. So the glorious thing about this whole thing is of the Samaritan woman in that story is, wow, it's, It's the Lord of glory leaving the 99 to go through Samaria, which he didn't have to, but it says he had to. Why? He had to because he's got to get his lost sheep, the Samaritan woman. And you disciples, you get to participate because through her testimony, these villagers are going to come to believe. And that was because it was the divine decree of God. You know, the gospel is a wonderful thing. And we, we, we need to exercise our responsibility in doing it. And you leave the results to God. You leave the results to him. And you can be a great instrument. And guess what? Remember what Jesus said Everyone who repents, all those who repent, it says the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. So there's, there's joy in the heavenly host when someone hears the gospel and they have ears to hear and they believe that Jesus really is the Son of God the Savior of the world, my Savior. And so the angels rejoice, the sower rejoices, and the reapers rejoice. Everybody's happy because someone has come out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let's be about the Lord's work. Let's be about telling people about Jesus and let the sovereign God do his marvelous work so that we all can rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these precious truths. We we don't understand how you use weak people like ourselves, but we understand it's not us, it is your spirit. But Lord, give us the courage to talk to people about Jesus just like Jesus did to that woman at the well. Go forth now and encourage us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.